Hey, everyone. Welcome to a very special bonus episode of Queerly Recommended, the podcast that's all about recommending queer movies, books, TV shows, video games, and more. I'm Tara Scott. I review queer women's fiction at the Lesbian Review, Lambda Literary, and Smart Bitches Trashy Books. And I'm Chris Bryan, a contemporary romance writer with about 15 books about women loving women. We are extra thrilled because today we are joined by Sinclair Sexsmith, the badass editor of the Best Lesbian Erotica series, which includes the very recently released Best Lesbian Erotica of the Year, Volume 6. Welcome, Sinclair. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you both. I'm excited too. So before we get started, would you mind just sharing for folks who don't know you just a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. I'm a I'm a writer. I've written erotica and gender theory and personal general explorations. Right now I focus a lot about dominance and submission and I write how-tos and also experiential things and processing and all, all sorts of things about kink and being a dominant. I write about butch identity and trans mask identity and all sorts of all sorts of things related to that. I also teach and sometimes do things like make podcasts or put together anthologies or kind of miscellaneous things that I can patchwork together to make a career and, a, and, a, and an income, <laughs> an artist's life. Yes. And also, do you mind just sharing your pronouns? Mm, yeah, I use they, them pronouns. All right. And we are both she, sure. Let's try that again. She, sure. <laughs> she, sure. Or Hershey, as they say, like the chocolate, chocolate right. bar. <laughs> So our pronouns are both she, hurts. My kids are 10 and almost seven, and they understand that they're non- non-binary people, but they tend not to say non-binary very often. And they say, oh, is that person a they, them? I'm like, yeah, baby. That's a they, them. That's <laughs> great that That's they know funny. to ask that or they even think about to ask that. Yeah, she doesn't, especially the oldest, it just like never assumes. And it's like, so she, or maybe they, I don't know. What's their gender? Aww. And I just love that right. there's this immediate, like, we're just going right. to ask. I have, my six-year-old niece was having her dolls share their pronouns to each other the other week that I just was, yeah, I know. It was kind of That's amazing. so cute. <laughs> oh. It was very sweet. Oh, the kids really? are all right, man. The kids are all right. Right? They might actually help us all out. I actually felt like the coolest person because at work, our receptionist had her child came into work. And so I walked in and I said, hi, I'm Chris. Uh, what are your pronouns? Like, like what? Because pron- I, I wanted to make sure. And she said she, her. So I just and, and the so look, sweet. the look I got was like, you're the coolest person ever for asking. <laughs> oh. And I like go walked away. I'm like, my job here's done. I'm the greatest person ever. And I went back <laughs> to my office. But it felt good, you know, yeah. that I actually like immediately I asked that because I didn't want to assume, oh, this is your daughter, this is your son. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to mm-hmm. I wanted for them to introduce themselves to me. So yeah. that was kind of so that was kind of it's amazing yeah. how simple it is to just yeah. think about like asking someone or not assuming and then people make it can make such a big deal about it but it's so validating when someone gets it right like it's so it means so much and just like and if it's done right away i mean then there's there's that relief it's not even awkward everybody knows yeah everybody Mm -hmm. knows we're good yeah yeah should we ask some questions chris do you want to get us started yes yes so both tara and i have read the book 
And you talk in the introduction about fiction being a place of connection, especially Mm -hmm. during the pandemic. Can you speak to what it was like editing this collection and how different was it than other collections that you've edited previously? Yeah. So there's two things that were different. One was the content, right? Like the, the, since the Best Lesbian Erotica series traditionally was an annual thing that had the year attached to it, right? Most of the early first like 25 volumes are Best Lesbian Erotica 1999, Best Lesbian Erotica 2005, like with the year. Um, So since it's always been this kind of annual snapshot, I wanted some of the stories to reflect the year that it was made in, you know, and it was made from um, October, 2020 to like October, 2021, basically ish right? Like in that year. So, um, so that was some heart of the pandemic times. And I wanted the stories to be reflective of the current status and what was happening. I know for me, so many people in my queer community, in my like kinky communities and my DS communities felt so isolated and so alone and so disconnected from their community, from queerness, from kinkiness, from, you know, from their dominance or submission, if there's, that was something they were playing with. So I wanted some reflection of that in the book. Like I wanted some of the struggle there and some reflection of the reality. At the same time, I didn't want the book to be like, like, I, like it's still supposed to be sexy and fun and erotica and things that someone could like pick up and jerk off to, right? Like, so I don't want it to be like a total big splash in the face of ice water, but I want some of it at least to be reflective of the time. So the content is different. And secondly, the the ability to get it done was also different. Just speaking to my own process through that year, like it's been really hard to be working from home, be freelancing, be, you know, my partner is also working from home. We're like in each other's space 24 seven. My cat is like on every Zoom call. You know, it's a challenge mm-hmm. to get things complete, let alone like my mental health during this time has been a big challenge and staying connected to my own dominance or kinkiness or queer community. Like the ice I've been suffering with those things too. And we have the political unrest of that oh. year and the challenges mm-hmm. The the call for submissions was due at the end of October, 2020. And the election was the following week and the manuscript was due in January, 2021. And the insurrection was like the previous week before it was due. And both of those deadlines for this particular book, you know, were, <laughs> I was going to say we're flexible. They were not that flexible, but were changed as <laughs> maybe more real um, mm-hmm. because of the reality of what was happening with the like larger, you know, U.S. community at the time, U.S. Um, state at the time. And so just to edit the coll- collection was a lot more challenging than it has been in the past from my own perspective, from my own like uh experience of it. I, I love editing, but man, it was really hard to get this uh, done. Yeah. I had a hard time writing as well during that time. Yeah. It's, just, it's very stressful, you know, and, and, uh, you know, uncertainty and just, yeah, you're right. Being all of a sudden you're put into an environment, a very small environment, you know, and that's, that's really hard. I mean, it just is. It, well, it's amazing how much of my brain is taken up with just like worry about COVID kind of in general, right? Like, and it's so invisible how much of that worry is there, but it's constantly there. And it just means that there's a lot less room in my brain for like figuring out which stories I'm going to choose for the anthology or something or, or, you know, figuring out what I should suggest to that author as an alternate ending or whatever kinds of edits that I was going to support. Did you have a lot of submissions for this? 
Yeah. How, how do you narrow it down? Yeah, I get, um, so this is the fourth or fifth volume I've edited and they average about a hundred ish submissions every wow. year. And I pick something around 20 ish, 15 to 25 variable, but that's my aim is about 20. So I always do a broad, a really broad read, just like kick my feet up, you know, have fun on the couch, whatever, and comfy read of everything. And I just sort them into yes, no, maybe piles just kind of by instinct. And then I go back to the yeses and see how many I have. And usually it's 10 to 20 ish. And then I will like sort them by, you know, what kinds of stories are there and what's the content, what kind of characters, what kind of genders, what kind of you know, racial background, what kind of diversity, what kind of interest, what kind of neurodiversity or fat or uh, fat, uh, fat bodies or disability do the characters have, right? So like looking for a balance there, looking for a balance of like kink and sexy and asexual and, you know, range of activity. So then I, then I go dip into my maybes and I <laughs> look at the yeses and try to kind of piece something together that kind of has a broad appeal because I want anyone who's picking up the best lesbian erotica series. I want them not to have to be kinky or have much knowledge about gender or transness or any particular sex act in order to pick it up and read it. I wanted a pretty broad audience, but I also want them to be, you know, fun and hot and playful and reflective mm-hmm. of the time and like reflective of queer community and what I see and what my, you know, what people reflect to me, what I see in the media. Yeah, I thought there was a lot of diversity in this one. Thank Um, you. And I was really (laughs) impressed. I mean, there's so much going on. Like, I would text Tara, I'd be like, okay, I'm on the stripper one, or I'm on, you know, the robot (laughs) one, or I'm on, you know, this one. And so we kind of just, we were kind of reading it at the same time, sort of kind of going through it as we could. Yeah, I, I, there's just so much, it was, they're all so different. It kind of blew my mind just how Mm. different they are. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. I don't see how anyone could read this and not find at least one story that turned them on and at least one story that taught them something. I hope that's true. I definitely hope that's true. I mean, you're never going to like all the stories in an anthology, right? right? That's really rare, but there's got to be something that's your cup of tea and then that you can go find that author and find what else they're doing, you know? And that's, that's always been what's, what I've loved about the best lesbian erotica series in general, but also anthologies in general. Mm -hmm. I've, I've been a big fan of BLE for a long time. It was, you know, when I was coming out in the late nineties, it was one of the first series and first erotica books that I picked up that had lesbians in it and was just, you know, well, first of all, I'd read it and go, why do I like this so much? I just like it. I don't understand. I can't put this down. And it was almost like cognitive dissonance. (laughs) I could not. uh, Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. I'm gay. That's fine. Worked that one out pretty fast though. But the, you know, the gender diversity, the, 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 the diversity and the, the range of experience in the books has always been really broad. And I've, I love that about it. It's always been a place that I've gone to feel connected to queerness in general. Yeah, it was very eye opening for me, for sure. Mm, you know, and I've that. been writing, I've written a lot of different things, romance, I've written erotica. And yeah, that I was just like, wow, I never thought about that. Oh, that's really <laughs> interesting. And a lot. Yeah, so I could go on. But we have to, we have to finish we this. Have more questions. <laughs> I know we have more questions and I don't <laughs> want to monopolize this. We stuff. can chat all night about this. <laughs> I, I have know. no doubt. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there is some confusion for readers about the difference between what is erotica and what is erotic romance. Um, mm. And I just wanted to know if you could explain that to our listeners. 
uh, what the difference is and, and what it is in your perspective? In my perspective, so I think there are some kind of formal definitions that I might not be getting right here, but like from my personal ideas of it, romance usually has a happy ever after ending. Romance is usually people who get together and they, maybe they're not together at the beginning and then they get together, they're together at the end. And often there's, you know, explicit sex and that's great. But erotica, it might be breakup sex. It might be strangers of one night stand. They're not necessarily going to be a happy ending. They're just going to be something where the sex is part of the plot point where the sex is doing something to move the story forward or share something about the characters in a particular way. So that's kind of how I differentiate. I also, I think a lot about what is erotic and, and what, what is eros in our lives kind of in general, you know, there could be like eating a peach is, could be incredibly erotic. So you can have a whole erotic story about someone eating a peach and maybe there's no genitals involved whatsoever. And so I I like the idea of expanding what erotic is in this genre, kind of in general. And as I've been looking for more asexual stories, it's also interesting to think about like what is erotic outside of sex and genital contact. And, you know, are kink stories where there's kink, but no sex, is that erotica? To me it is, but, you know, to other people, maybe it's, maybe there's some splitting hairs that could happen around like, the definition of all of those things, but I like, I like the messiness of that. And I like the complexity of what erotica can do. That's where I loved one of the stories. I was actually just reading it a little while ago where it's, it's between two ACE characters and there is no touching genitals. They're at a play party in there, but like the, one of them talks about how they tried going before to a party and was basically laughed away mm, because right. the race. And I, and I, I I, I guess the thing that I love about that is how the story is basically just like giving the finger to that idea and saying that like kink is for everyone Mm. who wants to be there. Mm. I thought there's something really beautiful there. Mm, Thank you. I I mean, it matters so much to see ourselves represented and reflected in media, right? Like as a queer media recommendation podcast, you all know, like the power of that, of like seeing your particular like your particulars reflected and if you are someone who you know doesn't usually involve your genitals in your play but you still like are part of the kink and queer communities it's it's harder to see reflection of that and I definitely want more of that I mean there's lots of reasons why people might not play with sex in public even if they're not asexual they might just not not have sex at kinky parties right they might only have kink play at kink parties so Mm -hmm. there's 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 so much opportunity and variety and I think we often shut ourselves down and limit ourselves and so just seeing more of that reflected is helpful Mm -hmm. I think related to that so writing and reading queer fiction of of any kind you know could be romance could be general fiction could be erotica it really has always just been this radical political act. I mean, existing as a queer person in public is a, is a radical and political act. Mm. So, I mean, reading and writing as well. Can you talk about why reading and writing specifically queer erotica is also radical and political? I, I think in a, queer, in a culture that thinks that queers 
generally are kind of bad and wrong <laughs> and that we have a lot of reinforcement for homophobia and for transphobia and for kinkphobia and for body shame and fat phobia and all of the all of the isms that go along with these things to claim for oneself i am a sexual erotic person and this is what i find hot and this is what my partners find hot and these are the things that like get me going and are satisfying to me like Claiming that in the face of that kind of adversity is, is radical, just the claiming and, and then writing it down to share with other people is so validating and can change people's lives. I mean, I, I'm sure y'all have had those moments of having your life changed by a book. And I, and I have, it has happened for me with like the best lesbian erotica series specifically, just really changed the way I look at queer sex in the late nineties. And, and I think I think that's, I think that's a part of it. Like people do this kind of thing that I want to do, right? Like seeing stories where there's characters reflected with their, the kind of desires that I had. I was like, what? That exists? How do I find this? It, it changed the tra trajectory of my life. So I think those like claiming I'm going to be happy, desirous, full of overflowing with sexual energy. I'm going to claim those things for myself and I'm going to make it happen anyway, even though this culture says I shouldn't. That's part of the radicalness. Yes. I mean, for myself, I came to understand my own queerness. Well, I mean, because of books, but even then it was my, my husband noticed, he's like, you're reading a lot of lesbian romances. And this is like, I grew up deeply churched, evangelical, was still in the church at the time. And he said, do you think you might be bisexual? because it's okay if you are and you're not going to go to hell and like I literally needed someone to say that but like if I hadn't found those books and I found those books because autostraddle one of their lists got reprinted on Jezebel and it was just mm. like lesbian romances and so it's like Radcliffe and Jerry Hill <laughs> and some other folks like that and it's like I just because I happened to be on Jezebel one day I learned about these books and it's kind of like what you were saying like it completely changed the whole trajectory of my life. Like I'm not in the church anymore. I'm much happier. <laughs> I'm openly queer. I don't know why I fumbled earlier, but like I use both she and they pronouns. I'm feeling more she today than I am they. So that's probably also, you know, why I was jumping to that one, but I couldn't have done all of that without books. A friend of mine calls them um, paperback mentors. Mm -hmm. um, this way that we can like learn from individual people, from writers, from their brains. And how, like, I feel like I've been mentored by, I don't know, Patrick Califia or Carol Queen or Tristan Termino or um, mm -hmm. I don't know, dozens of these erotica writers that I just read obsessively as I was coming into my queerness and as I was coming into my voice. And they have a huge, they have, they, they feel like I have individual relationships with them. And I've met some of them. Some of them I do have relationships yeah. with now, but I didn't at the time, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. they're huge. It's huge to see what you want reflected because if you don't have a, a, a word for it, you don't have a place to aim. How are you ever going to name it and find it? It's so true. So in the introduction, you also talk about how you know, claiming those things that fuel our desires, like claiming them as legitimate, as valid mm -hmm. and real, it heals that wound that we have that tells us that what we love is wrong. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to see that really explicitly. There's a story in there and the lead thinks to themselves, 
I am my own home. This is my body and I own it and it is mine, which to me was one of truly just one of the most beautiful lines in the whole collection. Mm. Can you talk about why writing and reading about healing also is so important and how erotica can actually be a conduit for these messages? One of the things that I want to bring to the Best Lesbian Erotica series, but that I also bring to my own work and that is just part of my, I don't know, passion and purpose and agenda <laughs> is gender affirming erotica, right? In general mm -hmm. and gender affirming sex play, gender affirming body talk and having this moment of this is my body. I own it. It's mine. Sometimes when we see a character say something like that, like we, we can kind of realize, wow, I've like, I've never actually said that about my own body, right? Like it takes someone else saying it to go like, oh, there's a gap between me and that sentence and, and my ability to say, this is my body, I own it, it's mine. And I, I just think that's, I don't know, it's, it goes back to representation and how important that is, I guess, how valuable it is to see other people do the thing that you might be aiming to do and working toward. But one of the reasons erotica specifically is useful for talking about bodies and talking about claiming the body as home is because it can explicitly ex include things like genitals and mm -hmm. nipples and erogenous zones and, you know, have a lover being uh, like reflecting that kind of beauty or desire or, you know, some, some other character saying, wow, you're so sexy. You're so hot. You're, I want you so bad. Like all of these kind of validations from outside that character. And there, as much as, you know, fiction or stories of, of queerness and of gender queerness in, in a wide range, like those are validating too, but like having someone really go like, I am stripped bare, like literally stripped to my skin. You are seeing all of me, all the quote flaws, all the, you know, shadow parts, all the, all the dangerous parts, all the subconscious parts, sometimes even all the like dirty desires that I might not tell anybody. You're seeing all of these things and you're still saying I'm beautiful and I love you. And that is, that can be really profound. And I think, I think erotica has a, you know, has a place. It, it has a place in erotica to do that specifically. Mm -hmm. So the collection has the word lesbian in the title. Mm -hmm. You know, we've, we've mentioned the title a few times, mm -hmm. um, but actually like we see a range of queer people in these stories and perhaps people who wouldn't even necessarily claim the, the title lesbian. Can you just share why it's important that we start expanding the definition of the word lesbian and how, I guess the reason why I want to ask um, this as well is just that, you know, we've been seeing a lot. I don't know about anybody else's Twitter, if it's been full of this, but like seeing a lot about um, the idea of the word lesbian and these quote unquote gender critical people, uh, <coughs> turfs, uh, <laughs> this idea that almost like it takes away from lesbian identity, but can you talk about how expanding the definition you know, it doesn't necessarily do that, but is actually really crucial for getting to these kinds of, of collections where we see all mm. kinds of, of, of joyful, queer sex mm. with a bunch of femme and butch. I don't know where I'm, I don't know how to end this sentence. Please answer what I can't <laughs> finish saying. Well, so, oh gosh, I have seven answers. First of all, I, if someone asked me, do you identify as a lesbian? I'm, I might say no, like it's not exactly wrong. I probably wouldn't correct them if someone said, oh, you know, Sinclair's a lesbian. I wouldn't say like, mm -hmm. no, no, I'm not. I don't, you know, 
but I, but it's not quite right all the way either, right? Like queer fits mm-hmm. way better for my kind of gender queerness and the kind of queer folks and queer bodies and variety of genders that I am attracted to and that I partner and play with. And given that, I see myself situated in a lineage of lesbians in a huge way. And lineage is really important to me. So having a place, like uh, being able to kind of look back and go like, I'm in a lineage of butches and I'm in a lineage of butch femme or of daddy girl or of, um, you know, lesbians who went to the bars dressed in men's clothes and got arrested, right? Like whatever, mm-hmm. I'm, I feel connected to that historical experience in a lineage kind of way. I used to say it was a lineage of kisses, right? Like this was a friend, a gay guy that I used to work with who would say that, like, because we're not Mm -hmm. connected by blood, but we're connected by kisses and the ways that like we go back and back into that. Mm -hmm. So when I do the call for submissions for these, I put that I'm interested in non-binary characters, lesbian, you know, queer women, characters of all flavors of expression, trans women, absolutely. And and people who generally are rooted in lesbian community. So the call for stories is pretty broad. I definitely know some of the authors don't identify as lesbian. Some of the characters probably don't identify as lesbian, but they are rooted in like a a lesbian lineage or community that brings them all together. And to me, that is a unifying piece, regardless of how Mm -hmm. (laughs) strict, strict they are about the definition of lesbian. And for me, like expanding the word lesbian also means connecting to that lineage, right? If we, if we're just like, ew, lesbian, no, because I'm not a woman and I don't only love women, then I feel like I might get cut off from all this access to lesbian culture, connection, lineage, media, you know, representation, things that, that there are a lot of people who are struggling with similar things that I struggle with. And I want access and camaraderie there, you know, like the, our, our struggles are aligned and I want to stay aligned. Really, That's really, very important to me. Mm-hmm. So I think that's partly why I'm working on expanding the lesbian in best lesbian erotica in general and wanting to make sure that it includes as much like gender expansiveness as possible. I, you know, that Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote where someone asked her like how many women on the Supreme Court would be enough. And she says all nine and they're like, what? And what, you know, <laughs> mind, mind explode emoji. And she's like, yeah, because you don't blink an eye if there's all nine men, right? Like it should be all nine. Yeah. Sometimes I think like, what if we had a best lesbian erotica that was a hundred percent trans women? Like that would be amazing. I would, I, you know, I don't know enough trans women writers or writers who are writing mm-hmm. trans women characters to even fill an anthology, but I would love to do that. I, I hope that I keep, you know, picking up one or two <laughs> each each round I've been editing the book. So I hope that we can keep growing that. Yeah. I obviously am not editing anthologies, but I really identify with a lot of what you said because I, when I started reviewing, I mean, I I started reviewing at the lesbian review. That was kind of the only place. And then, you know, kind of, I was with Kerr for a while and then joined Lambda and then smart bitches. And it's like, I've been evolving the way I talk about the books that I review because at first it was only referred to as lesbian romance or lesfic. And it's like, okay, but then there's more stories about mm. bisexual women and pan women and non-binary mm. people starting to show up and some of them and trans women starting to show up. And it didn't feel good or quite right. And I've kind of landed on queer women's fiction mm. only because I want to get across the fact that like, I'm only reviewing queer books. Mostly they're about women. 
But even that doesn't feel like I just don't think there's quite a right term yet. And so I love that if we can expand that definition of lesbian to kind of include all of us, it might just make it easier. Maybe. I mean, I think that's what queer kind of is doing, right? Yeah. Is is like really, really expansive. Although, to, and I don't know where y'all are, you know, like mm-hmm. where your community, what your communities are like or what you're seeing in your feeds or whatever. But to me, queer community is still like most people except cis men. Like the cis men are still kind of over yeah. here on siloed in yes. their own gay world and kind of stay there. But like queer is kind of like everybody else. And lesbian is kind of a subset of queer that tends to be more like women loving women focused stuff. So mm-hmm. at least this is kind of my vantage point at the moment. But, you know, I don't I don't know if I don't think there's going to be enough people to really like go into lesbian and say like, yeah, we're going to all fit under this umbrella now. Like it's a little narrow, but mm-hmm. but I think it's still such an important part of of the queer world in general. Like and yeah. that. You know, and I don't want to erase the women loving women, the 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 women focused women. You know, it, it is a different experience to be in like a lesbian relationship than it is to be in a hetero appearing, even if they're both queer people, um, mm-hmm. relationship who both identify as queer. Like that's a di- there's different social consequences to all of that, you know. But like, but there's still a lot of alignment, and I want to find those places of alignment. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about queer lineage. Mm. Which I love, by the way. I love that example. I loved it. Uh, Especially the connection through kisses. There's something so beautiful there. I love that so much. I I love your friend. I don't know your friend, but I love him. I love him too. (laughs) He is basically like a Santa Claus. He works at a bookstore. He still works at the same bookstore I worked at, you know, 15 years ago. And um, he's this wonderful gay guy. And he was he was telling me this in the context that he was related to Oscar Wilde. And I was like, tell me more. What are you talking about? And he's like, well, my ex-lover so-and-so and his ex-lover so-and-so. And he had traced back this, like, and he called a lineage of kisses to Oscar Wilde. And I was just like, stop it. Like, that's the, both the gayest thing I've ever heard. And so <laughs> fabulous. Like, like, I want a lineage that is full. Like, that's what mm-hmm. I want my lineage to be. Like, through these interconnected, because we don't have the blood relationship with queer mm-hmm. in the same way, right? So, like, but, like, having that heritage and lineage of queerness just has, I mean, it changed my life, right? Like, it made everything that I thought was wrong and bad and, and hard and challenging with me uh, make sense and gave me a context and, like, a reason and a purpose and and... All of a sudden I was like, oh, that's why none of these clothes fit, right? Like, that's why mm-hmm. I'm so unsatisfied, whatever, with my, with like this expectation of heteronormativity and all the things that come along with it. Like, oh, eye-opening. So anyway, I interrupted you. No, 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 no. <laughs> lineage, yes, queer lineage. So how do you connect to your queer lineage through those queer eroticas, queer eroticas, queer erotica authors and writers who came before you? It feels like everything that I write is in conversation with the queer writers who come before me, right? Like things that I, sometimes it's about being inspired by a particular thing that someone writes that I'm reading. And so I'll go off and go like, well, this was a good idea, but like, let me expand it in these ways with my own experience and these examples and I'll, you know meander around on the page to to find something that might end up being something I share with people or might not, right? So there's the the work, I think, that like talks to each other, the ways that my own work, I'll like reference other people's work sometimes, or, you know, even sneak in a sentence that I've borrowed here and there and feel like it's 
making this kind of patchwork of queer lineage. Uh, but then there's also, you know, sharing a mic, right? Like reading on an open mic or a, a stage with some of these people and sharing anthology pages with them, right? Like I have people who are kind of like, I don't know what to call them, like anthology siblings that people yeah. who, who, when we finally meet in person, we're like, oh my God, we've been in so many books together. It's so good to see your face, you know? And, yeah. I, and I love that. It feels like we're peers and and I'm learning from them and they're learning from me maybe or whatever they're learning from me. And and that feels like camaraderie in that way. I think it's, I think it's mostly through the writing, like through the written mm-hmm. word. That's how I connect to that career lineage. And by encouraging people to read that stuff that I've read and that has been meaningful to me. Because, you know, every once in a while I'll pick up another Patrick Califia book or I was just reading Public Sex the other day and I was kind of, I just like threw it, threw it on the floor and was like, all those things that I try to write have like already been written. Like he wrote this, it's already written. And I keep trying to say the same things that he's been saying. And this was published in the nineties. Like why have, you know, there's so much out there already. And it's great to feel, it's great, it's great to feel that connection to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not as frustrated. I, I'm not as frustrated as maybe I sounded at the moment, but I was like, oh, this is so good. Like I love, I, I you know, I'm so inspired by his work in general. Yeah, it's the best kind of mad. When you read something that's like so good and you're like, oh, I wish oh. I wrote that. I'm so, oh, I hate you for writing that before mm-hmm. I could write it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, what are those books for you? I t- I'm dying to, to know. I used to have a list of those, the books that I wanted so much to have written. Now mm-hmm. I don't know if I can remember what's on it. I'm not a fiction writer. Occasionally though, I come across a review where I'm like, oh fuck, you said that mm-hmm. so cleverly mm-hmm. and you said it before I could say it. And now I'm so mad. There was one time, where was it? I think it was in an author did it. Yes, I know. It was um One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston and which is a fabulous. I don't know if you've read it. Mm-hmm. It's it's a romance, but it's like a time travel romance kind of. There's this character who is trapped on a subway in New York City who is actually from like in the present but is like from the 1970s punk scene, which is like I'd been diving into the 1970s punk scene for the That's last so year. Fun. And I was like, holy shit, someone wrote me a book. But in the afterward, I was so mad at the author because she called it an unbury your gaze book. And I was uh. like, fuck you for saying it. Cause now I can't say it. Cause you said uh. it first and I guess it's your book, but like, it was just, <laughs> it is yes, the perfect book. description for that book because there's so much meat there's so much of the like barrier gaze trope yeah. in media and this is the gaze. opposite of that it's brilliant although i've been told if you know that particular train in new york you'll never believe the sex <laughs> so i have not been on that train so i was able to suspend all the disbelief it was a fantasy for me <laughs> Chris, what about you? Do you have books like that that you've read where you're like, oh, was it Evelyn Hugo? Did you do that? That, you know, that book destroyed me. It really did. I wasn't expecting it. It did. It did. It did. Yeah. It really did. It's been on my TBR pile for ages and I should probably. Well, so here's the deal. So I don't listen to audiobooks very often. I do when I'm trapped in a car for a really long drive. And I actually drove to P-Town for Women's Week back in October. So from Kansas City to P-Town is about 24 hours. So I'm like, what the hell am I going to do in a car by myself for 24 hours? So I'm like, I'm just going to get some audiobooks. So I did. And everybody was talking about Evelyn Hugo. 
Like it has circled. It has come back around because I think it was published in 2017 originally. Mm. And all of a sudden the hype, it's come up again. And so I'm like, fine. I told my friend Morgan, fine, I'll, I'll listen to it. And it was amazing. It was so good that I listened to it going there and coming back. And I <gasps> no cried way. and sobbed the whole time. Like it was so good. And, and it just, and it was, it was everything. It was the story. It was the way it was written. It was our history as queer mm. people. It was, it was just amazing. It was really good. You know, and uh, yeah, so that that book was pretty amazing. I would have liked to have written that or have written parts of it, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I used to do this thing when I was a kid. Anytime I read anything that struck me, I had a little index card file book. It was actually a spiral book. And I would write down the line and where it mm-hmm. came from because I just thought it was so amazing. And I actually have I found it like the other day. <gasps> no, I found it. It was back from my college days. So it's been a while. And some of us are pretty, what was I thinking? But at the same time, <laughs> it molded me. Something in that, what I read, something hit me and it made a difference in, in my life. So, yeah. I love that. So I, I got to pick that one up for sure. Yeah. I think it the, first, it's really good. the first one that comes to my mind, and I don't know if I really will stand by this 100%, but the first one that comes to my mind is the book Cunt, A Declaration of Independence by Inga Musho, who that like, I think it was probably published in 98, 99, 2000, right? You know, 20 ish years ago. It totally blew my mind as a, you know, young feminist, 18, 19 year old, however old I was. I, I haven't read it very many times in the last probably 10 years, but I read it many times in the 10 years before that. And so I don't know how it's holding up exactly, but I do know she's pretty amazing. Most recently, Maggie Stiefvater. Have you read any of her fiction? She's like a YA author. No, um, I've heard really good oh things. Oh my God. Her writing, there's something about her writing and I don't know what it is. I still haven't quite figured it out, but I thought it was, it was blown me away. She has a series I think it's the Raven Boys series. I can't remember what the series title is, but the first one I think is the Raven Boys about these kids who, you know, go to this elite private school, these boys, and then this like girl who is their friend and they're studying. She's witch. And anyway, it's kind of magical. It's great. It's amazing. And I <laughs> yeah. really liked that um, whole series. That that comes to my mind too. I, I was very jealous of um, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue that I read this last year, like just like, this is so smart. It's a fiction V.E. Schwab where she mm. like the main character like trades her soul for eternal life kind of thing, but she can't be remembered. The, the consequence is that nobody remembers her. So she can't like ever, you know, she'll be in a conversation yeah. with someone, but then as soon as she turns around, they look away and she, they're like, who are you? You know? So it's very interesting and very beautifully written. Yeah. I think Neil read cool. that one. He said it was amazing. Because like just the complications of just scenarios like you've paid for a room in this boarding house. Right. right. What happens when Brilliant. you come out of your room? The lady you paid the lady you paid is yelling at you for Yeah. Yeah. And she start and it starts in the seventeen something, seventeen hundreds, and then she is uh it flashes back and forth to like how it happened to the like two thousands where she's in New York and trying to make her way and mm-hmm. it's uh, it's very well done. Not queer, though. These are not queer enough. Inga, the cunt is. Cunt's very queer. Yeah. Chris, I've asked a bunch of questions. Would you yes, like to sorry. Ask yes, I, <laughs> I know. I'm just kind of sitting back and listening. I feel like I'm just, I'm watching this amazing interview happen. <laughs> no, you're um, a part of it. You're an interview. So, <laughs> I 
forget this. So when I came on the scene, when I started writing and I got published, and, and maybe that's just because I didn't have the knowledge and I didn't have the resources. But for me, it just, it, the queer environment just kind of started growing. And I've seen it grow so much just over the last eight years since I've been writing. So like, what do you think about the current state of queer media and where it's headed? You know, especially like compared to like what I was saying eight years ago when I first started. It's incredible to me how much has changed, right? Uh, I mean, I grew up in Alaska. I left home in the 90s. I was very isolated. It was pre-internet. Like we, you know, we had what we could buy at the local Fred Meyer and not a lot else, right? Like you could not just get Amazon tomorrow or the next day. It was, it's changed so much. Um, Sometimes I forget, you know, that kids, and not kids, 20-somethings have grown up with glee since they were in sixth grade or whatever, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. they just, that was just part of their upbringing. It's, it's amazing to have witnessed that change in the last 20 years, I think. Yeah. Uh, one of the things, this is kind of a side note and probably not necessary <laughs> for your podcast, but my undergrad thesis was about the history of the lesbian novel in the 20th century and the psychological process of coming out and how it's kind of mapped along the the process that lesbian novels have gone through. And, you know, you coming out novels, in the, you know, 60s, 70s were adults coming out and coming out novels in the 90s and 2000s and now in the 20 teens, whatever, it's all YA, right? Like we've moved to Mm -hmm. people coming into their identities as teens way, way more elaborately, not exclusively, of course, there's still people coming out at all ages, but that's where the tropes are now. And so just that change is really different. I haven't read nearly as many coming out books as I used to because I Although I do enjoy YA, but I usually read speculative fiction stuff. Um, anyway, what do I think about queer media and where it's heading? I think that digital publishing has also changed a ton of things and the amount of ways that people can tell their own stories and become, you know, influencers and voices through social media, through free platforms. And I, I love that. I think there's a lot fewer gatekeepers and a lot fewer places where our stories get deemed, you know, unmarketable, unsaleable unfit for capitalism. And so we are able to tell our own stories in a bigger way. I think that's super important. And ultimately, like my little pocket of the media world of erotica, you know, I want, I I want to see more and more and more stories that reflect the kind of sex and the kind of erotic lives, life of myself and my community and my friends and my lovers. You know, I want to see us reflected more. I know there's so many queer, kinky, you know, weirdos <laughs> mm-hmm. out there who are having these amazing, complicated sex lives and erotic lives. And I want to see, I want to see them. I want to, I want to know about that. I want to know about the inner workings because there's so much to learn in diving into an erotic life. And I think we can really, you know, take advantage of other people's insights to their own lives to learn about our own. And that, that to me sure. is the biggest value of devouring so much erotica as I do helps fuel my own it's inspiring sense of self yeah it's so inspiring it fuels me and it fuels my just my desire to like be desirous <laughs> to to act to identify when I want and go for it right it's like what I said you know there's a lot of things in this book that I was reading and I was like wow you know that's really interesting because I like it never crossed my mind these mm. things aren't a part of my life mm. and I was introduced just a little snippet of it. And I thought, you know, this is, I I loved the communication, the way that a lot of the characters 
the trust and mm. the vulnerability and like the rawness. Tara yeah. and I were talking about the rawness mm-hmm. of it. And uh, it is very eye-opening for sure, mm-hmm. you know, and especially a lot of readers that read my books, you know, it's, it's very, you know, I have a very, uh, what's the word, Tara? What am I looking for? Like my readership is sweet romance. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot. It's, there's some heat, you know, I do have heat in my books, but you know, this is a whole different level. And so it was so interesting to read it mm-hmm. and to either kind of identify or oh, this is really interesting. I, I might want to read more about this or what this is. So yeah, so I love that. Very eye opening for sure. Great. I love that. Yay. It's one of my favorite things for erotica stories or porn, maybe in general, especially like the, you know, feminist artsy kind of porns, the experimental stuff and, and queer made for queers kind of stuff is seeing something or reading about a fetish or an act that I might even explicitly not be into and not like, and then go away from reading that thing, kind of understanding why someone would be into it, right? I still might not be into it, but mm-hmm. just re- reading or watching it and then going like, oh, I get it. Like I get, I see. I remember watching a film with um, that Madison Young probably had made, but definitely had starred in that was her as a pony, like doing a lot of pony play. And that was never something that had kind of crossed my mind or that I had wanted to understood or engaged with and after watching that film with her and I was like okay no I can I can see this I can (laughs) Mm -hmm. I get why this is appealing like uh, you know I mean I still have not done any it's not my thing but I get it and I I would love kink more kink stories in future best lesbian eroticas that have like kind of an edgy kink in them that where the read the writer can take us through the experience of this character and really help us understand from the character's perspective, like why is this something that they're so into and what does this do for them? And why is it like, you know, why is it their root? Why is it the thing that they want and desire and need? Yeah. Uh, The explanation. I mean, that's the little stories are little explanations kind of, you know, in a way you, you go through the journey, the, the, the encounter with them. Mm. And so like the cat, the, the cat story, Mm-hmm. you know that's there, when you were talking about the pony i was thinking about the cat story in there and i was like i wonder where we're gonna go with this and so right. after i got done with it i was like i totally get it i respect that i really do i love yeah i love that and that was one of the things i loved about that story that cassandra cavanaugh story of i i just really love cats and her like her playing as a kitten in the yeah. story that was so and it, i felt like it really i got really inside of it like i understood right. what yes. the appeal was and right yeah. And how sweet. And I could see her through her partner's eyes too, right? The, the character and like right. being like, oh yeah, I, I could have a kitten to pet on the, on my lap. That would be so nice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So because, all right, sorry. I got, again, I got lost in the whole conversation um, <laughs> because this is a show all about recommendations and we have already talked about a few, but if you could only recommend one, one piece of queer media, whether it's book, movie, TV show, graphic novel, video game, what would it be? And you could cheat. We talked about that. Too. We're not, yeah, we're not super strict about the one really one. means like three or four. One or get out. No. <laughs> That's such a hard question, uh, partly because I read so much and right. I, and I, I'm also a pretty, a big fan of TV shows and music and film in general. One of the first things that actually comes to my mind is Steven Universe, uh, yes! because, especially because a lot of adults 
think it's a kid's show and haven't like given it enough try. Right. But I mm-hmm. love that show and I have never seen a cartoon. I don't know if, the, I don't think it exists. Right. That it, that has so much commentary about trauma and colonization mm-hmm. as Steven universe. And I, I or can't consent. believe and cons- so many pieces of that, mm-hmm. like v- the variety of genders represented yep. the like, uh, yeah. The, the whole fusion piece that um, yes. makes me so happy. Anyway, the I, I think that people who have not tried that yet really like we need feel good media right now. And if anyone out there is like, you know, a fan of The Good Place or Ted Lasso or the kind of like wholesome media and you haven't done Steven Universe yet, definitely worth trying. You know, you kind of got to get through some of it before you can start seeing the yeah. story develop. You got to like give it a good couple hours, but the episodes are only whatever 15 minutes right so don't stop at the cat fingers episode don't you're going yeah, to watch uh, it you're going to get to cat fingers you'd be like <laughs> what, what? and then you're going to want to stop and all i gotta say is <laughs> just keep going chris is laughing because she doesn't understand what we're saying and the rest of you are probably laughing too because you're like what the fuck is cat fingers? but that's good and you'll advice. get there and you'll be like okay mm, no just keep going tara said it's- to keep going just 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 put my head down and keep going yeah you can do it's- it it's so worth and it was one that it's one of the few shows that we've watched start to finish with our kids where all four of us have enjoyed it equally i may have been very baked one night and bought myself a t-shirt from there (laughs) oh no it only works if i remember what it says on it though do you remember the episode when steven like he he turns he gets old and he turns into a baby and he's mm. going back and forth. Oh yeah. And so he, at one point he comes out with a t-shirt that says professional beach hunk. And so I was like, <gasps> well, surely I can find myself a professional beach hunk t-shirt. And yes, I did. <laughs> yes. I did. It would never occur to me to find that t-shirt, but I love that a lot. It was a I occasionally make cannabis fuel purchases and that uh was one of them. <laughs> no regrets. Color, coloring books. I like to order coloring books. <laughs> Ooh, I have a coloring book for you then. I'm part of an embodiment collective that co- well, used to be called Body Trust. And we throw well, we used to before pandemic, throw um like weekend workshops and week-long retreats, and we do all sorts of crazy crazy shit that uh is not fit for airing but um Uh and then it's hard to even kind of discuss because outside of the like container and context of what happens like it might it sounds really weird but it's a combination of spiritual embodiment queerness kink all sorts of activities to like feel our bodies feel into ourselves and feel what we want and play with consent desire identifying what we want all these things so two of my colleagues in that organization uh, wrote a book called Wonder Body, a coloring book for curious adults, something like that. Amazing. That has all about the senses and the like pleasures. So a lot, one of our principles is the healing power of pleasure and how much pleasure can be a tool for, you know, healing and moving forward and, and getting into the hard stuff. So there's all these like, like there's a coloring page of office supplies because office supplies is such a pleasure and citrus was one of them, you know. Wonderful. It's a little nerdy. I love that. <laughs> and a side it. note. Um, aside from Steven Universe, I have to think of something that's a tiny bit more like, I don't know, serious or something that feels like, I mean, it actually is a pretty serious show, but I, oh, uh, yeah, it gets real dark. It gets real dark, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I, God, what what can I think of? Was there something been... you read or watched last year that brought you joy? 
so many things. Um, I actually just did like a, a year roundup from my Goodreads, you know, because it was the end of the year. But a lot of what I read was YA fiction. Uh, That's all that right. was not very queer, you know, it was mm. not all, not most of it was not very queer. Uh, some of it was, but some of it was not. I did really love the new book by Lee Cohort called Hurts So Good, The Science and Culture of Pain on Purpose that is about masochism. Uh, and it extends beyond sexual masochism to be exploring people like ballerinas and Muay Thai boxers and long distance runners and hot pepper eating contests and body modifications and all sorts of ways that people, what they say in the book is feel bad to feel better. Mm-hmm. So have put ourselves through these ordeals to then come out the other side, like on, you know, on purpose and kink being one of those things, uh, masochism and sexual kink being one of those things. So that I really enjoyed that book. Although that sounds really cool. Is there a section in there about tattooing? Cause like, I feel incredible a few hours after a tattoo session. There is not, but there should be, I, it might, they might talk about it in the, um, there's a body mod section where they are watching a video of someone get their tongue split, nope. uh, which is very intense. Uh, I was I I listened to the audiobook of this one partly because Lee is an incredible narrator and narrates the whole book. And um, man, that was intense. That was an intense chapter. But uh, tattooing, abs- I think tattooing absolutely falls under this mm-hmm. kind of category, right? And I also have been thinking a lot. This is one of the falls on my jealous book. I kind of hate this book side a little bit. Um, so I think a lot about what's the sadistic equivalent, mm. right? Like what's the sadism on purpose. And that is a lot harder to talk about and justify, but from like someone who is a top and a dominant and a sadist, you know, there are ways that I get to deliver this experience to someone of extreme states and, uh, someone, um, Oh, I might have to find it, find the reference for you because I can't remember where I read it. But someone was writing about this book from a sadist perspective and said, like, I get to be a bringer of death. And I thought that was amazing. Like from a, you know, you get to be this threat. <laughs> and also the and also the bringer of hopefully the the whole little death, the orgasmic experience as well. Right. So like the combination of those things. But so I'm 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 tripping out on the on the sadistic equivalent (laughs) now that I've read that one. I think that is all for this episode. Thank you so much, Sinclair, for joining us. Where can people find you online if they want to connect with you? I'm online as Mr. Sexsmith in most of the major places. Twitter and Instagram are my biggest hangouts. Um, I write at sugarbutch.net and you can find all the links to things there, including a mailing list if you want to keep in touch. Um, I I have an erotica writing online class that's starting at the end of January. So if anyone wants is an erotica writer out there and wants to come and get some constructive and helpful, hopefully feedback, I have an assistant who's helping me with it. And we were joking just the other day that we are both affirmation daddies. So we're going to be uh, very affirming feedback to people. That's, that's our style of feedback. So I think that this is going to be a really fun class. I love it. That sounds super fun. How often do you, uh, how often do you run those workshops? It's, I've done it once a year the last two years. I might do it twice this year. So, you know, a couple times-ish. But I, I love it. I love writing groups in general. I've been in writing groups on and off for 20 years. And it's there's such magical work that comes out of a writing group. You know, so much never gets published. But it's such a privilege for this kind of small group to get to read 
these amazing words. I love the intimacy of that and, mm-hmm. uh, and the, and the cheerleading of it, just right. really going in there and getting to say like, this is good, keep going. Then, and that really makes a difference. I think to my own yeah. writing experience anyway. That's amazing. So if anybody can't make it to this one, just keep an eye out because it sounds like there will be future ones that you can also uh, throw your hat in the ring for. Absolutely. If you've enjoyed this uh, show, please hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts just so you can get notified whenever we release an episode, whether it's a regular or a bonus like this one. If you have a friend who you think would like this show, who would like to get queer media recommendations right into their ears, just let them know about it. That would be great. And if you feel inclined to support the show, you absolutely don't have to, but we do have a link to Kofi in our show notes, or you can visit Kofi.com slash queerly recommended. Again, like I said, not necessary. If the best way for you to support the show is to tell a friend, that's awesome too. We still love that as well. Yes. Or if you want to connect with us on your favorite social media sites, just search for queerly recommended on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or email us at podcast at queerlyrecommended.com. Plus, we have our own separate accounts as well. And I just followed you on Twitter. So I'm excited. So, um, yeah, so you can find us, all of us. And uh, good night, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye.